Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Hey everybody, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really glad you're here. Uh, it's really good for me to be with you. I was gone last week. Uh, I was preaching at a church in Florida. Uh, somebody needs to do that in the middle of February. So <laughs> it was me. Uh, but I always uh, love coming back. I'll tell you what, I will take this weather as long as I can have you and have this place. Uh, because I uh, love this church. Hope you feel the same. All right, we are in our second week of a 10-week series. And whenever we do a 10-week series, by the way, we do three a year, we try to provide something for you that will help kind of hold the 10 weeks together. And to give you something so that each Sunday you can uh, spend some time from this Sunday to the next uh, looking at the truth and driving it deeper. And so this time we have created this, Happiness According to Jesus. It's a devotional you can pick up on the way out, there's a table out there. Grab one before you leave. Uh, it will be helpful to you these next 10 weeks. Uh, but we are uh, doing this 10-week series, uh, and we're focusing on what are called the Beatitudes. Uh, the Beatitudes are really the, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous sermon. And the Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom of God. You know, if we read the Gospels, uh, nowhere in the Gospels does Jesus ask anyone uh, to receive him as their Lord, as their Savior. But he talks more about the kingdom of God. Even in John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he utters that famous phrase, you must be born again, he says that to Nicodemus because he says you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God can best be understood when, by thinking about uh, what happens when anyone comes into power. Uh, when a new coach takes over a team, like an NFL team, like it happens at the end of every season. When a, a new CEO takes over a company, a new president is elected, or a new king takes over a throne, uh, their power is expressed uh, in a new administration. They come in with new priorities and new direction and uh, new strategies and a, a whole new culture. And if that culture is better than the last one, then there is flourishing. It means that the, the team wins more games, the, the company is more successful, the people of the country have a higher quality of life. Jesus is the ultimate king. And Jesus' power is expressed in an administration called the kingdom of God. And whenever Jesus comes into anyone's life, that power kind of moves through all the life, right? It is absolutely comprehensive because Jesus brings new strategies, new priorities, a new culture into your relationships, into your marriage into the way you look at your job and approach your job, the way you handle your money. That's why here at CCC, we talk about reimagining life because of Jesus, every area of life. So the Sermon on the Mount is really about that transformation of when Jesus becomes someone's king. And the Beatitudes are that introduction. 
Now, it's easy to read the Beatitudes. There are 10 different statements. They all begin with blessed. And it's easy to read those and think that there are separate groups of people. Like blessed are the poor in spirit. That's one group. Blessed are those that mourn. That's another group. Blessed are the pure in heart. It's another group. That's not the way you're supposed to read the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are really a description of people who have entered or who are entering into the kingdom of God. And that word blessed or blessed, if you were here last week, you heard Jimmy say that that's translated in a lot of places as happy. And it's a more robust word than that, but uh, that's probably the best English equivalent. Happy are those. That's why we are calling this series the theology of happiness. Theology of happiness. You know, Disney uh, Disney World bills itself as the, the happiest place on earth. Um, it's not. I've been there. <laughs> the happiest place on earth is the kingdom of God. The happiest place on earth is, is where Jesus is king. That's what the Beatitudes are about. All right, so with that in mind, uh, let's look at the Beatitude for today. And it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. And I'm going to be bouncing around to different parts of the Bible. Don't worry about trying to keep up with me. We'll throw uh, the verses up on the screen uh, as I read them. All right, but uh, chapter 5, verse 4, the beatitude for today simply says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Okay, here are my three points. If you are a note taker, you can write these down or just know where I'm going. Uh, I want to talk about the comfort of this beatitude, the cause for this beatitude, and the hope that is in this beatitude. The comfort, the cause, and the hope. First, the comfort. Just the fact that Jesus would, would make this statement is comforting, don't you think? I mean, he could have said all kinds of things. That would make sense. He could have said, blessed are the hardworking. Blessed are the self-disciplined. Blessed are the spiritually healthy. Blessed are the achievers. You know, if he had said any of those, there'd be many of us who would be thinking, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I fit. I don't know if I qualify for this one. But that's not what he says. He says, blessed are those who mourn and we can all mourn. We will all mourn. And I just think in a, in a broken world where I can sense the brokenness deep down in myself, and I see the brokenness in the lives of people that I know and love, and the brokenness out in the world, it is so wonderful to have Jesus say this, I see you. I see you when you are hurting, when you are sad, and I not only see you, but I comfort you. It reminds me of a, a verse in Isaiah. We usually look at this verse sometime during Advent season. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know, I, 
I think if you need to be comforted, if you are in deep sadness, it's amazing to know you have a wonderful counselor. Blessed are you when you need to be comforted because a comforter has come for you. It also reminds me of uh, what Jesus says about himself later on in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 11, he says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, there are some, uh, t- some days where uh, I just need to go to that verse and be reminded that when I am weary, Jesus is the one to go to. Listen, for some of you, maybe for a lot of you, this is the thing you needed to hear today. Like, this gives you space to breathe, just to sit in this truth. That when you are sad, when life has broken you, that Jesus says, I offer you comfort. You know, when I uh, spoke to the men at the men's summit, I told them uh, that when they turn on the light to win the morning, and men keep winning the morning. If you didn't win this morning, win tomorrow morning. But I said, learn one thing, or remind yourself of one truth about God. For some of you, this is that one thing. That when you need to sob, Jesus offers you his shoulder. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But we have to ask the question, why? Why is it that it's true that all of us will mourn? Why is it that the world is so broken? Why is it that we are broken? And that brings me to my second point, uh, the cause for this beatitude, the cause. You have to keep in mind that these are descriptions of people who are either moving into the kingdom of God or who are already in the kingdom of God. And there are two causes for brokenness. One is uh, a brokenness that comes from the outside in and another brokenness that comes from the inside out. And this is what I mean. The brokenness from the outside in are things that happen in a world that is full of pain and sharp edges. And the things when that hits you, when, that, when you bump into those sharp edges, you feel the sadness and the mourning. And that brokenness is all over. One of the memories I have of my, my little brother, John, who uh, lived with us the last summer of his life. My, my little brother, uh, John, was uh, killed in a motorcycle accident at the age of 20 when he was living with us. But that summer, my, and my brother, John, was a huge guy. He was like two of me. Right? But he was gentle, and he always had a really tender heart. And I remember walking through our family room one time, uh, and he was standing next to the TV, and he had his hand on the TV, and he was looking at the screen, and tears were just rolling down his eyes. And so I, I looked to see what he was watching, and he was watching the news. And I said, John, why are you crying? And he looked at me, and he said, This is so sad. It's just so sad. That's what the psalmist says when in Psalm 119, he says, my eyes 
shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. My eyes shed streams of tears. That there's a brokenness that you see around you in relationships of people that you love and just the world in general. You know, uh, when you read the Gospels, you see Jesus with compassion for all this kind of brokenness. He heals uh, lepers. He stops a funeral procession in a little town called Nain, and he raises the, the son of a widow uh, back to life. He has compassion on a father with a sick little girl. He talks to a woman by a well in John chapter 4. Jesus has compassion for this kind of brokenness, the kind that is from the outside in. But there's another kind of brokenness, there's another kind of mourning that moves from the inside out. It's deeper, it's harder. It's the kind of mourning you feel when you are the cause of the brokenness. When you have, if you have ever really hurt someone that you love with your words or with your actions, you know this kind of mourning. Another memory that I have of my brother John that summer is I was a youth pastor and he was helping me with an event. And the event was uh, going to be, we had, uh, we're going to have all the high school kids have this giant pillow fight. It was going to be a free-for-all. So like 40 or 50 high school kids came with pillows and, you know, we would clear it out a room and then we filmed it actually uh, from several different angles. So the next week we would show the very best hits in slow motion. It was great. It was hilarious, right? It's probably, we didn't know as much about concussions back then as we know now. <laughs> but that was the Wild West of youth ministry. But uh, we're setting up for it, and, and he and I uh, start to play around, and we start to have a little pillow fight. And I'm 28, he's 20, and we're both young and kind of competitive, and it starts to escalate a little bit. And then uh, I could tell that John was stopping, and he was letting down his guard. But I went ahead and wound up, and I hit him flush like hard. And um, I remember his eyes because his eyes looked so hurt. And it wasn't the physical pain. It was pain from uh, just the sheer meanness of what I had just done. And I tried to apologize. I wanted to try to take away that pain, but I didn't know how. That's mourning deep down. If you could see the eyes of Jesus, you would mourn some of the stuff you've said and some of the things you've done. That's true. And what do you do with that? Right, this is what Ezra, the prophet, says. Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. What do you do when you are the cause of the brokenness, not just in people's lives, but you are the cause of brokenness with God, and you are the one that has made God sad? What do you do then? That brings me to my third point, which is the hope 
in this beatitude, the hope in, the, in this beatitude. One of the things, uh, one of the many things that I love about Jesus is that he told stories. Everybody loves uh, a good story, and Jesus was maybe the best storyteller to ever live. And he would tell stories to illustrate the deep truth that he would say in other places, like the story he told to illustrate this deep truth of blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, I think is in Luke chapter 15. And it's one of my favorite stories. Uh, we call it the story of the prodigal son. And I'm going to read you the story. I just want you to sit back and listen to the story. Let it flow over you because it's such a great story. Uh, it begins at verse 11. It starts like this. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found." So his story begins with this younger son going to his dad and saying to his dad, I want my share of the inheritance now. And every commentator that I read mentioned how deeply that must have hurt the father. That what the son was really saying was, I want to live as if you are already dead. And I have to think of 
of my little brother John's eyes, that those were the eyes of the father as his son told him that. And then the son takes his share of the inheritance and he goes to a distant land, squanders it all, ends up in a desperate situation, decides to come home. But he knows how deeply he has hurt the father. So he thinks, what will I say when I see his eyes? And what he decides to say is heartbreaking. He, he says, I, I will say, I have sinned before heaven and in you, in your eyes. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's mourning. And so he comes prepared for that. He's walking. His father sees him at a distance and begins to run to him. And the father lets him express that mourning because the father lets him go ahead and say, I have sinned before heaven and in your eyes. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father says, wraps his arms around him, kisses him. Can you imagine the relief that flowed over this boy? And then the father grabs his arm and walks him into the house. And he says, look, he's home. He's home. We celebrate. Then the story cuts to the older son who's out in the field. And the older son is not happy. He's mad. And the father goes to him in the same way he went to the younger son. But the story ends with the older son refusing to come in. He doesn't mourn. He stays out. He refuses the father's love. You know, I always think sometimes uh, when I'm watching a movie, it ends too early because I have questions that I want answered. That's the way I feel about this story. I always think, what, we, what it was like for the younger son the next morning when he woke up. When he woke up in his own bed, got out of bed, put on clean clothes, slipped his feet into sandals, walked out to the smell of breakfast heavy in the air, saw his father, and heard his father say, good morning, son. How'd you sleep? Come, sit with me. And his father's eyes, instead of being hurt, are full of love. What that boy would experience right then is blessedness. Right? because he was coming into the kingdom of his father. Imagine what that's like, what it was like for him. You know, when I get up in the morning, I spend time with God every day because that's what I want. I get up and I, I go, I turn on a light, I sit in a chair because I need to hear God say, good morning, Joe. How'd you sleep? Come, sit with me. When you get up tomorrow morning, you can mourn your sin, right? You should mourn your sin. You have broken the world in your own little way. You have hurt people that you love. You've hurt God. But because of Jesus, don't miss being invited into the kingdom. 
Because when you walk into the kingdom, like that boy walked into his home, he was walking into the happiest place on earth. The place where you experience the love of the Father in the way you have always longed to experience it. Don't miss that. If you are a child of the King, live in that kingdom. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come to you, and I am so grateful. Um, you know that there are people here who are uh, mourning the sharp edges of the world and things that have hurt them uh, deeply. And I pray for uh, comfort for them because of your compassion. And then there are others, myself included, who know that we have caused brokenness ourselves and we have hurt you. And I'm so grateful that you have provided Jesus, that through his life, death, and resurrection, you have invited us into your kingdom and into the midst of your love. I pray that you would make that real inside of all of our lives so we'd experience what we all hunger for, the love that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.